Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pro Bowl edition of the Fantasy Flex on the Action Network podcast. I'm Matthew Freeman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. In this episode, we are breaking down, I can't believe I'm saying this, we're breaking down the Pro Bowl from a sports betting and DFS perspective with me. Two good-looking guys, I got to say. I'm, I'm looking at you. Maybe you guys, uh, you're not as busy as you normally are, so maybe you shower today. I'm joined by Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on SiriusX and Fantasy Radio. And of course, Sean, I have to say that Chris finished higher than you in the Fantasy Pros ranking contest this year. He finished top five. You were, I think, only in the, the top 20, which is super embarrassing. Uh, of course, I was like outside of the top 40. So I'll just get to the rest of the show. Guys, let's talk about the Pro Bowl. And it's this weird situation where right now uh, I'm combing through the different sports books. Uh, I'm looking at uh, DraftKings and FanDuel and there's nothing. There's nothing posted on this game. So uh, we're going to have more of a high-level conversation about uh, how we're approaching the Pro Bowl um, in terms of sports betting, in terms of DFS. Guys, how are you doing? Doing good. Um, I, it's almost like this Pro Bowl game doesn't exist. Uh, are we sure <laughs> that it's actually going to be played? It's really weird to be sitting here midweek uh, and not have any DFS contests or uh, betting lines. So I don't know. I don't know, Sean. Is like this game here? Is it? Is it yeah, is it'll – well, let's be clear. This is the Degen Bowl. We're the only people really worried about it right now. Um, but I, I guarantee you, like, by the end of the week, DraftKings, FanDuel will have contests posted. Um, and, you know, I think sportsbooks, they're just waiting for these rosters to be finalized. We're still getting um, people um, being replaced even today. So um, once the rosters are finalized, I think we'll see lines for I'm guessing it'll be like a pick em with an over-under of like 50. Um, I remember the days the over-under used to be like 84. Um, but I think Friedman has some insights on, you know, the rule changes and stuff. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what caused this shift? Why is it lower scoring these days? But I'm guessing the total will be uh, closer to 50. Yeah. So, uh, and I should say, I, I buried the lead. I mean, we're going to talk some about the Pro Bowl, but this is really the Sean versus his dad bowl. Uh, at least this is the podcast where we're going to uh, have on, I don't know if it's too much to say, uh, the kingmaker. Uh, because this is the guy who uh, sort of, from the time that Sean was a little lad, uh, the guy who raised Sean to be a fantasy force, uh, Ken Corner. We're going to have him on in the second half of the show to uh, get some insight into how he was able to craft the automaton that became Sean Corner. Uh, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about the Pro Bowl. This format is so crazy. People think of this as an all-star game, as a, a normal football game. But uh, it is most certainly not uh, a, a football game. And Raybon is going to write up a, uh, a breakdown for this game later, and he will probably hit on uh, a lot of the things that kind of differentiate the Pro Bowl from everything else. But some of the, the big picture things. Defenses can't blitz. 
the offense has to have at least one tight end and one running back on the field at all times. Uh, the defense has to stay in a base package. Um, they now can play a variety of defenses. Uh, in the past, they used to be able to play only uh, man uh, defense, uh, which I think would uh, enable the wide receivers to get deep and you know would facilitate some of those longer plays that would lead to high-scoring games. Now the defense can uh, sit back a little bit more and uh, prevent some of those longer plays that used to juice the games to the over. Uh, and so what we've seen over the past six years since this new rules package was instigated uh, is a 5-1 a and one record to the under, whereas the over used to be a near automatic bet for the Pro Bowl. Uh, since then, the under has been the, the sharper side. And as Sean said, the, the totals uh, have consistently dropped down, you know, since this trend uh, has has uh, been seen. But so there's a the question now: like, is is the under still the the sharp side, uh, or has we have we kind of reached this equilibrium point? But uh, yeah, so that's kind of the the big picture for the the Pro Bowl. Uh, a lot of randomness, and just to hit on some of the wild things that uh, we see year in and year out in this game. In 2018, Kyle Rudolph had a game high eight targets, uh, and 70, uh, 70 yards. Uh, in the, the season for 2017, he didn't even have 65 receiving yards in any game, but uh, he had his season high in the Pro Bowl. Uh, in the 2017 game, fullback, that's right, fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, uh, led all backs in fantasy scoring with 51 yards on three carries and five receptions. Uh, in 2016, the Jerry Rice team, that's right. Remember the days when uh, they thought it was a good idea to have former players draft the Pro Bowl teams? The Jerry Rice quarterbacks combined to throw six interceptions. In 2015, fullback John Kuhn led the Carter team with 31 yards rushing, and he did that on two carries. In 2014, running back Alfred Morris, known for not catching passes, he led the game in receiving with 69 yards. In 2013, return specialist Leon Washington led the game with five carries. He had seven yards. In 2012, quarterback Drew Brees attempted an extra point. He missed. This is the wild stuff that we see in the Pro Bowl. These guys do not take it seriously. Uh, they're basically hoping not to get injured in a game that means nothing. Uh, and, and I think that uh, lackadaisical thrust is also something that uh, pushes this game towards the under. That, that's kind of like the, the big picture for this game. Randomness reigns uh, throughout everything that you think you know. Sean, from a sports betting perspective, uh, we've talked about how the under has hit in five of the last six years since they uh, created this new rules package. What do you think we should be doing for this game? Do you look to the total? Do you even imagine <laughs> betting on a side? You know, like we don't even know who the, the players are in this game yet. Do you say, oh, I think the AFC was the, uh, the, better, the better conference this year, so I, I like the AFC in this game? Like, I mean, do you, how, how do you even approach this? Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's um, you don't bet on it. You know, I like betting on perceived edges, things I think, you know, I can really hone in um, and bet accordingly with this, with all the uncertainty, like you said, randomness reigns. Uh, I don't really think that constitutes a bet. Now, if, if like they were to float one of the teams plus three, um, I think you would just take the points. Cause like you said, there's really no way to cap this. So, um, and motivationally speaking, we don't really know who's going to be trying probably nobody. Um, so yeah, if, if anything, it would just be looking at trends, like you said about the over under. Uh, but other than that, I mean, 
I, I don't think we'll ever see player props on this, but I would be more comfortable <laughs> betting player oh, props yeah. on this because yeah. this is a joke game, whatever. But I already made uh, projections for every player in this game. I'm tracking, you know, who's going to be in it and uh, who's replacing who. So, um, and looking back, like you said, like these fullback types, uh, Raybon has a really good take on this, but these fullback type players do have an, an edge in these uh, games. So uh, we could talk about that when we discuss running backs. But yeah, I think DFS, uh, I think there's definitely an edge um, in playing DFS. So hopefully we'll see some contests. Uh, there's no real salary cap. You could typically take whoever you want. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of game theory. And I think um, if, if we, you know, look at the past six, seven years, I think uh, you can make case that there, there is going to be an edge if you play uh, D, uh, GBP is pretty smart here. Yeah. So let's get into the, uh, I mean, let's just transition away from the sports betting talk because there's nothing to say and let's get into right. the, the DFS talk. This is the, the slate, I think more than any other slate this year for football that really distinguishes between the people who are just uh, degenerate in, in the best of ways, I think, from the, the people who are uh, kind of a little more casual. Raybon, can you talk about the, the best ways in which you think people should probably be approaching this slate? Because there are some clear trends from what we've seen historically in how different positions get their points. Oh, I mean, hold on, just give me a minute. You know, usually I take my nap uh, before this podcast, but uh, since it's a Pro Bowl podcast, I just slept through the first 10 minutes of you guys talking. <laughs> I don't You're know. You're spicy know. today, Rayvon. <laughs> like, I mean, oh, speaking of spicy, I, yeah, I, then I woke up and uh, I just ordered some, some Panda Express. I mean, I'm excited here. I'm just waiting for Ken to come on. But if we must discuss the Pro Bowl, you know, yeah, Sean alluded to it. The tight anyone, the less you catch passes during the regular season, the less you have a chance to um, run routes. Like, I, I feel like if you just look at, uh, everyone's percentage of blocking snaps uh, on the field. The inverse correlation of that is probably how many targets they're going to get. So uh, I think Sean was saying uh, Patrick Ricard uh, looks like he's going to be the fullback for the uh, AFC. Uh, of course, the, the Ravens fullback who also plays in defense. You know, guys like that. That's Those are the guys, uh, and, then, and the tight ends. Those are the guys that in this kind of game, especially with defenses being forced to play base, they can get matched up on linebackers. And, yeah. uh, you know, that gives them an advantage. That gives them, a, a you know, kind of a way to, to, to do something that they usually don't do, which is uh, bore us by catching passes instead of by blocking. So that is how you play DFS. Just pick big dudes who block a lot. Actually, we had some breaking news. Um, CJ Ham has been added to the uh, <laughs> NFC roster. Yes. So, I mean, load yes. up. Yes. I'm not even lying when I say this. Like, half of the rushing touchdowns that have been scored in the Pro Bowl over the last decade uh, have been scored by fullbacks. Like, this is the game where it's like, oh, let's let's reward this big guy yeah. who has to do the grunt work throughout the year of blocking for other guys. Let's give him a touchdown in the did all-star you, game. When you went, you know, through the years, the, the crazy stat lines, did you even mention Anthony Sherman from last year? No. Uh, four carries for 11 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Three receptions for 92 yards. Yeah. Um, and didn't Andy Reid described him as a sausage with hands? I mean, he's like the perfect guy for the Pro Bowl. So, yeah, CJ Ham um, and Patrick Ricard. There you go. Uh, This is is great. Yeah, Ricard plays defense, too. I think they'll make a show of him. We had CJ Ham. We had had sausage with hands last year, and this year we have CJ Ham. As much as any player can be a lock for a short yardage score, 
like Ricard is the guy. Like they'll, yeah, I think they'll want to give him that ball. Oh, this is this is great. I mean, it's sad uh, that Yuschek can't be in the game because yeah. he's. I mean, he's like you know in a, a tier unto himself at the fullback position. He's too good. He's too good to be in the game. Like he's too, he catches too many passes. <laughs> good at this game. He'll he'll get like zero targets. No, no, that's not true. Yeah, he had five receptions in 2017. He he can he can get it done. Uh, okay, so from a, a positional a positional standpoint, I think one of the keys to figure out um, for stacking and anything like that uh, is which quarterback is starting the game for each team. And and sometimes you can actually get uh, a lean on that before the game start. But normally uh, you want not to start. Uh, the starting quarterback because that guy might play only a series or two. Uh, and so you want to target the other guys after him uh, for your lineups. Um, Sean, how are you ranking the quarterbacks right now? Well, it's tricky. I was going to kind of get your guys thoughts on it, but like when it comes to Lamar Jackson, you know, rush attempts, I have him at three. I mean, looking back, it doesn't look like even, you know, scrambling quarterbacks really run the ball much. Like you said, this is yeah. basically no, they, just get through the game without an injury. Yeah. I can't imagine the Ravens would be happy with Lamar Jackson, you know, <laughs> rolling out right and trying to run it. So, I mean, I have a three carries for 20 yards. So he's my number one QB just by default. Uh, but I, I have them all kind of lumped together. I think the one thing that I do think you can kind of plan on is, when Drew Brees is in the game, you know, he and Mike Thomas obviously have the connection. You don't really have um, any QB, you know, being able to stack them with teammates other than Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. So I think Drew Brees and Michael Thomas, at least pairing those together makes sense. But other than that, I think it's just finding what, which guys you think might be under-owned and take him because they're all kind of on the same playing field here. Yeah. From a um, game theory perspective, Raybon, do you have any sense of, you know, like looking at Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, my sense is that those guys would probably attract a lot of ownership relative to like Aaron Rodgers. You know, Rodgers uh, was just replaced by Kirk Cousins. Oh, even, even better. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the 49ers whipping boys. Yeah, so, so no one's going to want Kirk Cousins. Uh, so do you, do you have a sense in terms of like game theory, how you might approach the quarterbacks? Going back to Sean's point on Lamar first, like let's talk more about this. So I'm looking at the box score from last year, and it appears that no quarterback ran at all. These guys um, don't run. They don't run. Yeah. Yeah, so they, so they can't even run. So I, 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 they're just not allowed, Friedman? Is that no, oh, they can. They choose oh. not to. Oh. <laughs> you know? So yeah, right. I, I probably would take the under, I guess, on that project. Like, I don't – like, I think it might be more accurate just, like, one carry. Because, like, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and Andrew Luck, I would say five out of those six guys run a, a fair amount. Yeah. Um, with that with luck being the exception. And none of them ran uh, at all. So – I'm I'm thinking that if if we want to kind of stack here, it would make sense to to, to just kind of go all out just because quarterbacks probably won't run. If they're not receiving scores, there'll probably be these short yardage, uh, you know, big back kind of scores. So I would say in terms of projecting them, probably just the worse a quarterback is. Um, and I think that just goes for all of the players in the game, honestly. The worse they were during the regular season, probably the more – like the better they'll be in the Pro Bowl um, for the most part. Um, but we do, well, um, we did see wide receivers like so Tyreek Hill got a couple carries for the AFC last year. I think uh, when you look at some of the more explosive players, um, Tyreek Hill, Zeke Elliott had three carries for 33 yards, which was he led the NFC in rushing last year. 
Uh, Devontae Adams and George Kittle led the, the NFC in receiving. Keenan Allen and then, of course, Richard Sherman. Jared Cook were the top three for the AFC. So um, I would say some of the more explosive players, just kind of stacking them uh, with different quarterbacks. It's hard to really get a read. But, like, the thing about Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, is that he's not accurate with the football. So that, like, <laughs> it, might, it might hurt him in a game like this. I don't know. I'm looking at the – I'm looking – I'm trying to figure out, like, what would my best stack be. I almost think that stacking – that's still following that same strategy. Like, stack quarterbacks with these big tight ends and, yeah. uh, and, 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 and running backs even and try to get – because it could be an under game. So, if you get the three, the three of the four touchdowns or something like that in your lineup, that could just be, you know, the nuts. Like, it's, it's tough to say otherwise. But I would – I mean, DJ Chark, if I'm picking a wide receiver, just because – I think he's the worst wide receiver in this game. And that's, that's not a diss to him. He's, he's great. It's just uh, when you look at the other names. They're, they're yeah. Great. Yeah. So uh, I, th- I think the, the guys who are better, it, like it works against them in two ways. One, they're probably not going to have as much playing time because they're going to play in the beginning of the game and then get benched. And then also they might soak up more of the ownership. So uh, going with the guys who are the lesser players might actually be the, the preferred strategy uh, from multiple perspectives. At running back, I mean, we can talk about like, oh, you know, Derrick Henry, he's great. But uh, I think you fade almost all running backs in this game with the exception of maybe like the fullbacks or something like that. But um, I'm not looking at any of the running backs at all because historically they don't produce. Uh, And it makes sense. You know, uh, a lot of the production that running backs get is based on how well offensive lines play in front of them. And here we have a collection of five guys who don't play together and, you know, teams just aren't really motivated to run the ball. I think you fade the running backs and uh, you move on. But uh, Sean, any thoughts on running backs? Like Raybon said, you, you do need to get, you know, all the touchdowns. So uh, someone like Mark Ingram could get a touchdown. You'll need him to, to win a GPP. So I think it's just spreading ownership out. But, yeah, you're not going out of your way to attack running backs. Um, a guy like McCaffrey might end up racking up a few receptions, but you're just rolling dice to that point. And, and like, to, to the point that you made, all these guys are going to be over-owned anyway. So it is smart uh, just from a game theory perspective to fade most of these guys. All right, let's go to wide receivers. Uh, these guys are more interesting because uh, unlike the running backs, you know, you do see these guys out there more. And you think about there are three running backs. They're going to rotate into the game, but there can pretty much only be one of them out there at a time. And so each guy is going to get less playing time. But normally we will see two to three, normally three wide receivers out there. And there are four wide receivers per team. Uh, and so just on a, a per snap basis, each guy is likelier to be out there on the field than the running back. So I think it, it makes more sense to have exposure to them, and it tends to be more of a, a pass-heavy game anyway. Uh, so the running back uh, – sorry, the wide receiver position is where I think uh, it's a little more intriguing to kind of break down where we might want to go. I mean, Sean, what are your, what are your rankings? What are your projections well, say? Like I said, I think Breeze and Michael Thomas is pretty easy to peg. You know, they, they already have that chemistry. Breeze can, you know, give him a hand signal at the line. He knows what he's talking about. Um, the one guy that I do like is Corlin Sutton. He was just added to the FC team. And I always joke, you know, if he ever had a good quarterback, he'd be a wide receiver one. So he has Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and uh, Ryan Tannehill now uh, throwing him the ball. So I think that just helps him out. And like you guys said, um, he might be a little bit overlooked. So right now I have him as my wide receiver too. To be honest, it's it's essentially like an eight-way tie. But someone like him is, if you're going to try to play the game at all, he, he's the guy that you'd kind of target in a format like this. Just great quarterbacks running the ball. He's really talented. We know that. 
I could see him making a couple of big plays here. Hey, Ray Bond, what about you? I, I saw, yeah. I'm looking at the numbers, and <laughs> I think I think I'm going with Jarvis Landry because if, if he plays, uh, he, he had seven targets and no catches last year. Jalen Ramsey had one more catch last year <laughs> than Jarvis Landry uh, on six fewer targets. So I think that uh, that will probably be a running joke, uh, you know, just with the players and maybe even the media uh, heading into the game. And I think whoever's at quarterback will probably try to get Landry uh, a couple of bombs or a touchdown or something like that. So he's a guy I probably look for a bounce back. But, yeah, I'm with Sean. I think the guys, the younger guys, the guys that really haven't had that kind of recognition before are the guys I'd look for to make bigger plays. So uh, I love the Sutton call. I think uh, Chris Godwin uh, and DJ Chark uh, are the other two that, that stand out. But, but I do think Landry's an intriguing one just because 0 for 7 last year. I actually would maybe fade Michael Thomas uh, because I, I could see more people being interested, like drawn to the potential of a Breeze Thomas stack. And uh, I mean, we're dealing with small samples anyway, but historically uh, there really hasn't been uh, any correlation between like a, a quarterback throwing the ball to his wide receiver or tight end or anything like that in the pro bowl game. Uh, so uh, if Thomas, we think, is likely to have higher ownership because people want to stack him with Breeze. That might be a reason to move away from him. Uh, just something to keep in mind. And also, just real quick, they, they announced that uh, Kenny Galladay replaced Chris Godwin. Aww. Nice. Well, same, same, same type of receiver, though. I think it's yeah. first time, right? First time. Yeah. 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 Nice. Good for, good for Babytron. Uh, all right, let's talk about the tight ends here. I don't even know who's in this game besides Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz, but I don't, I don't think it matters. Like tight end is where you want to invest the most because there are only two of them. At least one of them has to be on the field at all times. So you might have some, some plays uh, where you have two tight ends on the field. Uh, these guys are going to be matched up against either a linebacker or a safety, you know, like, so they, they can't, the defense can't put a, an extra cornerback out there who can actually sort of uh, cover this guy the way that he maybe should be covered. Uh, so it's a perfect scenario uh, for these tight ends. Uh, and so I think you want to be uh, heavily invested at this position. And historically, they've produced just as well, if not better than the, uh, the wide receivers. Sean, uh, what do you think here? Well, yeah, I'm kind of confused. How is Zach Ertz the only tight end on the roster right now? Wasn't he dealing with like a lacerated kidney and broken ribs just two weeks ago? Yeah. I'm... Like he's healthy enough to play in this game. <laughs> that was um, just the postseason, man. Like that's Yeah. <laughs> he was resting up for the Pro Bowl. Got it. Right. But yeah, like they just they just added Jack Doyle, so he's obviously gonna be on every one of my teams. Um, uh, but yeah, Mark Andrews is gonna be a beast in this game. I mean, we always um, you know, say his snap counts were um, pretty low during the year, but I think he'll see, you know, enough snaps in this game to make a big dent. So I think I love Mark Andrews here. I just – I can't get behind Zach Ertz. I do, you know, like playing tight ends, but they're going to have to add somebody else. Whoever the NFC adds yeah. to play with Ertz, I think will be the guy to target yeah. for the NFC. I just don't see them giving Ertz that many targets, just given his health right now. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, the the second tight end for the NFC. Yeah. I think that's great. Rayvon, any thoughts here? Yeah, I like Andrews too. I, I'm looking at the box score from last year. Kittle was the number two receiver for the NFC. Hooper was the number three in terms of yardage. Hooper got the only receiving touchdown for the NFC. And, and then for the AFC, Eric Ebron got the only one by an offensive player because uh, Ramsey <laughs> got the other one. And, uh, and then Jared Cook 
with with third with uh, 71 yards. So this is uh, I mean this is this yeah. is perfect. Well, I'm looking at the NFC. I think the the replacement would be Hooper, right? I Goddard. <laughs> but yeah, no, oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be I, I pretty cool. Yeah, I think Hooper would be the it would be the one I would it, my mind. Would okay, guys, this is good. We're going to uh, bring on the kingmaker. We are joined by Sean's dad, Ken Corner, a 35 year veteran of fantasy football. Ken, how's it going? Very nice. Good morning, gentlemen. <laughs> it's uh, it's great to have you on the show, especially for uh, an episode like this where it's the Pro Bowl and we can, uh, you know, kind of celebrate. And I mean, it's an all-star occasion. And I think that Sean, of course, is an all-star. So it's great to have you on the show. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into fantasy sports and then how you got Sean into fantasy sports? I can tell you exactly how I got into <laughs> fantasy sports. Um, with Sean, it was a fairly natural progression. In 1985 spring training, my brother Mike Kerner came to me and asked me to uh, pick a fantasy baseball team, which I'd never heard of. I'm married to Sean's mom, Elaine. I've got a six-month-old son. We're both working full-time. And um, I'm watching MTV is my go-to. I was enjoying this new channel, which would actually play music videos. And I was much more interested in that. My brother said, you're going to pick a fantasy baseball team. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. Well, I did. And the scorekeeping for that was very sketchy. I, I didn't even know how I was doing in the fantasy baseball. The season had ended yet and he came to me and said okay now we're gonna pick fantasy football team and I said no I'm not and he said yes you are and I said okay so I went and picked a fantasy football team for the first time with a group of his friends we were all first timers I don't remember too much about it other than the moment in which I became fascinated with fantasy sports was the last pick of that draft was uh, Mike Machaney's brother said flippantly, I'll, I'll take the um, rookie receiver out of Mississippi Valley State, Jerry Rice. From then on, I was fascinated. I thought, how does this guy come up with that? Uh, so I watched Jerry Rice that year, and um, it really didn't go very well for him. Uh, his rookie season, I think he had three touchdowns and 49 catches. He was Hunter Renfro. And, um, <laughs> nice. No, seriously. So if you could imagine somebody spending six months dreaming about getting Hunter Renfro, um, that's what it was like. But for some reason, I was fascinated and I wanted to take fantasy football to uh, my group of friends and I was going to get Jerry Rice. And uh, it, it was it took off from there. Hey, Ken, uh, you're an OG fantasy football player. I'm guessing you're, you're still kind of playing today. You know, what do you think has changed the most? Just, you know, obviously we have the internet now, but what do you think has changed the most from when you started playing fantasy, uh, you know, a few decades ago to, to now? Well, it's, it's the internet. And uh, I feel like a, a grandfather watching the moon landing. What you guys are up to now, I never thought was possible. Definitely the internet. Number one 
quantum leap in fantasy sports. We played season long. That's all we had. You And head-to-head came in um, not too long after the season long came out. But best ball tournaments and Millie Makers and, and uh, DraftKings and FanDuel and the Action Network, I, I would have never guessed that this would have happened or I would have gotten in on it a lot sooner. Uh, <laughs> there, there wasn't live scoring or anything. Um, after the week was over, my dad had to hand calculate all the scores. You know, um, he had to get the newspaper, uh, drop ads. You know, you can talk about that, Dad, but like how did people drop ad back in the day? Scoring for fantasy football in my league and I'm sure all others was done by hand. And my league was based on the Los Angeles Times sports page. We would watch games on Sunday and there was two games each day. Uh, all the, it was a full slate on Sunday and one Monday night game. Thursday night football was not available. There were no bye weeks. And uh, ESPN was was up and running. And they, of course, loved the NFL. And Chris Berman and Tom Jackson would recap the day's games. And I could you could get the final scores for each game. And they might flip some stats up, but if somebody kicked a field goal, you wouldn't know how far the field goal was. And so I would wait and I would get up in the early morning, Monday morning, and the Los Angeles Times would fly over. I'd pick up the Los Angeles Times and I would start going through the scorekeeping. I would have everybody's team on a piece of paper and I would have to start adding up scores. Now, I had to wait for Monday night game to finish, get up Tuesday morning, the newspaper would fly over, I'd pick it up, I'd complete the scoring, and that day, I would start making Xerox copies of everybody's teams, and I would stuff envelopes, and I'd put a stamp on it, and they would get their uh, final scores for that week on Thursday evening after they got home from work. They would find out how we did. That's, that's amazing. Um, now, and you can imagine drop ads. Um, if if something came up and you needed to swap out a player or pick up a player, they would have to call me and I would answer live on a landline. And if I'm not available, we had an answering machine. A guy could call in and want to drop ad somebody, but he wouldn't know if somebody else had made the same drop ad. And how do you then plug in a player that you might not even own? They'd have to leave their lineups on my answering machine Sunday morning. So it was rough. And at one point, I figured out to um, get a uh, 1-800 line. It was a phone service. And I could get everybody's calls would be time stamped and also I could leave a message and so only coaches would have that number so if my mother called she didn't have to listen to me explaining to the the coaches all the transactions that had gone by for that week yeah at our house like if somebody would call the uh, voice recording would blast throughout the whole house so I would hear you know at a young age I would hear his buddy Rocky turning in his team and being like, oh, I'm playing, uh, even though he friggin' sucks this year, Dan Fouts at quarterback, I have no other options. Like, I could just hear the guys kind of going through setting their lineup. So that was my first exposure. To it. And, um, yeah, <laughs> this, was, uh, this was pre-internet when people could just submit their team. So my dad had this whole process figured out. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's legendary. Uh, back in the days when being a commish actually meant something. Uh, Ken, can can you remember uh, like a, a time in particular, maybe the first time when Sean expressed interest in playing fantasy football or being in your league? Um, Sean was very interested in baseball and for Christmas I'd give him a, a, a fantasy baseball magazine or we would we were doing the trading cards there in 1991 1992 we'd get a box of baseball trading cards and um, he and I have videotapes I had a video camera I would videotape Christmas morning and Easter morning and his birthday morning and I've got videotape of Sean reading off dad dad I got a Raphael Palmero card and it just goes on and on and on um, I was talking to a gentleman just the other night who who I don't see very often and he, it, he was in my brother's original fantasy league and he told me that one year he couldn't make a draft and he asked, can I, can Sean pick my NFL fantasy team for me? And I said, no, I forbade it. For some reason, I didn't want Sean doing that that year. He must have been 10 years old or so. And I didn't think that was appropriate. Well, if you've ridden a, a motorcycle or a mini bike, you'll know that sometimes you get wobbly. You've got your right hand on the throttle and you pull back on the throttle to speed up. And if you start to fall off and you don't let go of the throttle, you'll just, it'll, the bike will just start speeding up and speeding up. You fall off. The motorcycle will go stride in a perfectly straight line down the street off to infinity. And with Sean and I, uh, I fell off that motorcycle some years ago and Sean is ghost riding straight down the street <laughs> the levels I never imagined. That's amazing. And like speaking of ghost riding, you know, I know you guys uh, would do when, when Sean was young, you'd go to Vegas every year. Um, and, and I think that's where, uh, you know, a lot of the, the guy we know today, Sean, the odds maker, um, was kind of honing his craft. So tell us a little about those four-hour uh, uh, trips to Vegas each year. Well, uh, I had one incident, well, two incidents, and I just repeated that here this just a couple days ago. I drove to uh, St. George, Utah, and when, you're, when you leave Baker headed north towards Vegas, you come to Holleran Summit. And it's just a stretch of um, the 15 freeway, and you come up over a peak, and when you get up over that Holleran Summit, you look down and you see the road going down and back up off in the distance. And Sean must have been about 10 then, and I said, hey, Sean, how far away is that hill over there? Uh, give me a mileage of how far you think that is. In my mind, I thought it was about five miles or so, and he gave me a number that was much higher than that, and I hit the odometer, and I measured the, the distance off into the horizon there, and when we got to the top of that next peak, Sean had it to the tenth of a mile. <laughs> so if anybody a, drives yeah. north on the 15, when you come over Holleran Summit, look off in the distance, and you tell me how far that is, and you hit it exactly to a tenth of a mile. Try that. It was and, a and, and also along those lines, it's that thermometer in Baker. Sean would start setting over-under lines. As we approached Baker, he'd come up with a, a, an over-under for what the temperature on the thermometer in Baker would be. And to this day, we do that every time we go and every time we come back. 
these days you have a weather app where you can tell the uh, temperature. Back then, we didn't have that luxury. So <laughs> That's right. Sean was different. And uh, he was going to school. It's my, my wife, Kathy, now told Sean, you need to follow your passion. And uh, when he graduated, he moved to Vegas. It also goes back a bit further. You know, you'd always get me the fancy football magazines. Um, but then, you know, um, there'd be times you thought I should be doing homework and I was reading a fancy football magazine and I'd get in trouble. Believe me, you're still in trouble. <laughs> right, exactly. You thought and not in a million years there'd be a, a career. For, for a good 20 years, I really didn't have anybody to talk fantasy sports with. Um, even the members of our uh, league, when we'd get together throughout the year, they didn't want to sit around and talk about fantasy football. And fantasy football was considered, a, you know, more of a geek kind of a thing. And I just loved it. And, and Sean was, Sean would love to sit around and talk about that stuff. And now I know you guys have, have expanded on it and perfected it. And, and I'm curious to see how far it will continue to ghost ride down the street. Was there ever a time where there was a conversation where it's like, hey, dad, uh, I'm really thinking about doing this thing. And uh, your mind explodes with like, what are you talking about? This is a game, but not, not a career choice. It, it was very natural progression. He, he um, received a degree in psychology and he told me, but I've, I've taken probabilities and statistics. He said, I'm moving to Las Vegas and I'm going to work at a casino. After a year of that, Sean said, all right, I'm out of here. And he came back to Southern California and he got a job with the website Rotohog. And I thought it was great. And he explained to me what they do. They had a, a, a stock market kind of system where you would pick your fantasy players. And um, if you pick, if you bought Drew Brees at some value and more people, just like the stock market, if you bought Drew Brees low and his price went up, up, you had a great pick there and you'd proceed through the season using Drew Brees and knowing that you got him at a low price or your player would lose value and you had made a mistake. And uh, that was going very good with him. And he started winning awards at the uh, FSTA. This little story ends when Rotohog closed their doors and Sean was unemployed, he said, hey, I think I'm going to win baseball and football season-long projections at the FSTA convention in Vegas. But Rotohog is not here to send me. And I said, Sean, I got you covered. And I bought him a ticket to that convention. And he went up to the podium. He was handed the season-long football and season-long baseball projection awards. And the speaker said, and by the way, folks, he's a free agent. And Sean returned to his seat with a couple business cards inquiring Sean if he'd be interested in working there. And um, if I'm not mistaken, he chose Bloomberg Sports and in, out of New York City. By now, I am off the bike, and Sean is on his way. Ken Corner, of course, we're talking with Ken Corner, father of the odds maker, Sean Corner. And Ken, I got to ask you, like, are you in any leagues with Sean right now? Yes. Um, the NFL Derby 
um, which I started in 1986, has gone unbroken for 34 years. We've we've definitely morphed over the years uh, from rotisserie style league to a head-to-head league just about 10 years ago. I think I went to -to head-to-head, and we've been making tweaks all along. And um, this year, the finals in our 12-team league, top six make the uh, championship bracket. And I worked my way through as the number one seed. I had the New England Patriot defense playing against Sean in the final game, and I'm favored to win, and Sean beat me. (laughs) This was the first time we've had a three-time champion, Sean Kerner. And um, he had won the trophy several times prior to this, but it's getting pretty bad. I think I'm going to have to vote him out of the league here uh, <laughs> next year. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm not bitter, fun? though. Ken, uh, this was fantastic having you on. Uh, final question here. Uh, I, I know Sean has his fancy models and all of his ideas for how things are going to play out. But uh, I want from you, the player that you are most excited about for fantasy football in 2020. I don't like to give away these secrets, but um, um, I like Devo. I like Devo Samuel, and um, and all, I'm sorry, everybody likes Devo Samuel. You know who I like. You know who I'm looking at, and I'm gonna think for the next six months thinking about this guy, just like I did Jerry Rice. Is uh, DK Metcalf? Yep. Yes. Nice. Both of those. I love both of those. Those are great. Uh, I may throw Hunter Renfro in that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Nice, Nice. good. Yeah, keeping it all out west. (laughs) West Coast bias. Well, I will be tuning into you guys throughout the off season, and definitely during next draft season. And I will be trying to gather your opinions. I'm also curious about uh, the the, uh, how we're going to work with Keenan Allen next year, and what we're going to do with the frozen pond. So seriously, you guys, congratulations on your FSGA win for best sports betting app, along with your FSGA award win for best betting podcast. It's unbelievable. Chris, number four, finish. Excellent job. Way to go, man. Thank you so much, Ken. I really appreciate it. All right, Ken. This was (laughs) fantastic. Thanks for the time. And uh, you you take care. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Raybon and Matt at the Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Check out the rest of our episodes and live shows this week and subscribe to and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.